0: Without further ado, here is your earnings call.
1: Good morning, and welcome to PepsiCo's second quarter 2019 earnings conference call. Your lines have been placed on listen only until the question and answer session. In order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Today's call is being recorded and will be archived at www.pepsico.com. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Jamie Caulfield, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Caulfield, you may begin.
2: Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. I'm joined this morning by PepsiCo's Chairman and CEO, Ramon LaGuarta, and PepsiCo's Vice Chairman and CFO, Hugh Johnston. We'll begin today's call with some brief, prepared comments from Ramon and Hugh, and then I open the call up to your questions. Before we begin, please take note of our cautionary statement. We will make forward-looking statements on today's call, including about our plans and 2019 guidance. Forward-looking statements inherently involve risks and uncertainties and reflect our view as of today and we are under no obligation to update. When discussing our results, we refer to non-GAAP measures which exclude certain items from reported results. Please refer to today's earnings release and 10Q available on pepsico.com for definitions and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures and additional information regarding our results and for a discussion of factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from forward-looking statements. And now it's my uh, my pleasure to introduce Ramon Maguarta.
3: Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. We've just um, four things we'd like to highlight before I move on to a brief recap of the operating sector's results. First. We're very pleased with our results for the second quarter. Organic revenue grew 4.5% overall, with each of our six operating sectors contributing to the growth. I believe the solid growth we had in the second quarter is a good indication of the strength of both our product and geographic portfolios. And it also gives us a confi- confidence that the plans we share with you at the beginning of the year are being very well executed. Second, We continue to make progress on our productivity agenda and remain on track to achieve a full year productivity target savings. Third, we're on track with our investment priorities, amongst which we've stepped up our brand investments, which is evident in the increase in A&M in the first half of 56 basis points as a percent of net revenue. We invested in advanced data and analytics to enhance our consumer and shopper insights and sharpen the precision of our execution. We invested in increased go-to-market capacity and capability, including routes, other frontline selling selling resources, and e-commerce. We invested in increased manufacturing capacity with additional lines and plans to support our fastest growing brands. We invested to drive greater global systems harmonization and standardization and we took steps to transform our culture to become more effective by being more consumer-centric, nimble, and collaborative. And fourth, we're reaffirming our full year gu- uh, guidance. So let me move on to the sector's results, starting with PIDLA North America. The continued to post strong growth in the second quarter with organic revenue up 5% and solid market performance. We delivered good net revenue growth in our key trademarks, including Lays, Doritos, Cheetos, and Ruffles. In addition, we posted good growth across all channels in the U.S., led by high single-digit growth in convenience and dollar stores. We continue to invest across the business with the aim to drive sustainable, better-than-industry growth. And this includes investing in plant and warehouse capacity Routes, sales technology, enhanced consumer and shopper data and insights and brand media. To this point, in the second quarter, FLNA's A m was up high single digits with investments across our portfolio of brands. And we're pleased to note that FLNA was once again the largest contributor to total food and beverage US retail sales growth in the quarter. PepsiCo Beverages North America delivered two percent organic net revenue growth, with solid benefit from net price realization. Trademark Pepsi and Trademark Mountain Dew showed sequential volume improvement and our ready to drink coffee and water volumes grew in the high and mid-single digits respectively. M spending was up, strong double digits for the quarter. Beyond brand investment, We're also directing investment on innovation to address new category entrants and to drive success in higher growth category segments. And this is evident with innovations like Mountain Dew Game Fuel, Gatorade Zero, and Gatorade Ball 24, Light Water, Bubbly, new variants of Propel, and extensions within our successful Starbucks and Pure Leaf Tea lineups. We're encouraged by the steady improvements we've seen in the business, and we believe that as we execute our planned investment agenda, we'll see a return to sustained competitive performance. Rounding out North America, the second quarter was Quaker's strongest quarter of organic revenue growth in three years, with organic revenue up 3%, driven by net price realization and modest volume gains. We've restored brand support across the Quaker portfolio, and we've returned to volume growth in on and ready-to-eat cereals, each of which deliver mid-single-digit volume growth. Now, moving on to international, despite ongoing macroeconomic volatility in a number of key markets and poor weather in parts of Western Europe, each of our international divisions delivers solid organic revenue growth in the second quarter. Notably, developing and emerging market organic revenue increased 8%, driven by particularly good growth in a number of our key markets. Mexico and Russia were up high single digits. Brazil was up more than 20%, in part reflecting the benefit of lapping last year's transport strike. China grew strong double digits, and India increased mid-single digits. These results are a reflection of the benefits of the increased investments we're making in the business and reinvigorated emphasis on marketplace execution, driving local relevance and local affordability, expanding our global brand portfolio, and leveraging our global capabilities to drive higher per capita consumption and market share gains. And with this, let me hand it off to you. Thank you, Ramon,
4: and good morning, everyone. I have just a few comments on the balance of year outlook. As Ramon just mentioned, we're reiterating each of the components of our 2019 guidance. Namely, we continue to expect organic revenue growth of 4%. A core effective tax rate of approximately 21%. Core constant currency EPS to decline approximately 1%. Free cash flow of approximately $5 billion and total cash returns to shareholders of approximately $8 billion, comprised of dividends of approximately $5 billion and share repurchases of, of approximately $3 billion. As you model out the balance of the year, I call your attention to the fact that the organic revenue growth comparisons get meaningfully more challenging in the second half. And from an EPS perspective, you should consider the following. First, over the balance of the year, we will be lapping gains from various strategic asset sales and refranchising gains and insurance recoveries. And second, our pace of planned reinvestments in the business will accelerate over the balance of the year, and you will see this reflected both in core EPS as well as in our operating margin performance. Now we'll open it up for your questions. Operator, we'll take the first question.
1: Thank you. Once again, in order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. Your first question comes from the line of Brian Spillane of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch.
2: Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, um, Ramon, I guess kind of stepping back, you've had now a half a year of, of this, um, you know, stepped up investment. And think if we look at the organic sales, the composition of organic sales, particularly in North America, it's a little bit more price-heavy and, and less volume. So I guess uh, two questions around that. One, do you think that the um, – is the investment allowing for maybe more pricing and mix than maybe existed previously? And second, you know, would you expect that we'd start to see maybe more of a pickup in volume or demand? Um, you know, as more of these marketing initiatives, uh, you know, get into the market through the balance of the year.
3: Yeah. Morning, Brian. Yeah. Uh, Listen, we're seeing um, balanced growth in the U.S. and very rational pricing in our categories, both in snacks and beverages. Last year, um, remember, we had um, higher commodity inflation, so I think that's being reflected a little bit in the pricing this year. Um, But uh, nevertheless, what we're trying to do is – Trying to understand much better the consumer, trying to understand the, the different occasions the consumer is um, is going into our categories, and maximize obviously the uh, the opportunities for for revenue in each one of those occasions. We're we're investing a lot in net revenue management across the company, and that's translating into um, I would say a, a better mix management, channel management. Um, Transaction per unit management, and, and that's what um, you should be seeing um, in, in the future as well. The, the, the most important thing from the uh, from the invest, investor point of view is that we're seeing very rational pricing across the industry, and, and everybody's trying to generate value by investing in brands, improving distribution, you know, connecting better with consumers versus using price as the only lever of. Uh, of, uh, of attracting uh, consumers to your brand, so I think it's pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, good situation for our categories, I
1: would say. Our next question comes from Alina of Morgan Stanley.
4: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so, so, just to get a, a bit more granularity on the pricing, um, we've obviously seen Frito Lay North America the balance has tilted much more towards pricing recently with the strong organic sales growth over the last few quarters. So can you give us a little more granularity on what specifically has been driving that? And should we expect more of a balance going forward between pricing and volume? And then also on the beverage side, obviously very strong pricing in the last few quarters post the fall increase. You just commented that the competitive environment is pretty rational, but just any thoughts on pricing potential in NAB when you cycle those increases in the fall would be helpful. Thanks.
3: uh, I would say, uh, and and Hugh will will add to my comments, but what we're seeing in the industry is a uh, a trend towards smaller packs. So consumers are somehow um, either – the size of the household or the particular occasions where they're consuming our products consumers are moving to smaller packs and if you recall when we talk about our some of our investments in the past in the past call we said we we're going to put additional capacity because we're seeing that um, you know, the consumer is moving to smaller packs and some of our capacities under you know, There's some bottlenecks in our capacity because of that, right? So, as we move into, as the consumer moves into smaller packs, you, you realize more pricing, uh, price per kilo is better, price per liter is better. The second trend is consumers are looking for higher value products, so more functional, more. They're looking for more benefits in the in the um, in the consumption of our categories, be it snacks or beverages, and that that is also n- tends to be also higher price per liter, price per kilo, so. I think you will continue to see those trends going forward in our categories, uh, especially in more developed markets. In developing markets, it's a bit of a different game where uh, you have to be very mindful of the price points and the affordability lenses. So if you cross certain price points, clearly your, your your products become out of reach for a lot of consumers, but in developed markets, we see smaller packs and more functional benefits driving what I would say um, you know, positive pricing environment. Then also we see more uh, consumption in convenience channels, channels where consumers are willing to um, be a bit less price sensitive and 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 they pay more for our for every transaction. So those are trends that you could um, you could see um, you know as positive trends for the category. I don't know if you, you
4: Yeah, I, I totally agree. With what i was going to say a lot of those same yeah. things. The, the only small pieces I would add to it. Uh, Number one, Dara, in particular with Free to Lay, uh, Sabra, where we record the volume, but we don't uh, capture the revenue, we only pick it up in, uh, in equity income, uh, that was about a one point drag on Free Delay's Lay's uh, volume. So if, if you take that out, then Free to Lay's volume to revenue looks a little bit closer, obviously. And then number two, is, as Ramon said, I think in developed markets, we probably can expect. Uh, a couple of points of visual and then a couple of points of consumer-driven mix that will enable us to, to get pricing in the future. So I mean, that, 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 I think, is a reasonable expectation going forward.
1: Our next question comes from the line of Ali Dabaj of Bernstein. Hey,
2: guys. So I, I just want to go back to um, the investments that you've been making now over the past six months and, and where you expect that to appear in the top line, you know, is it rate, is it mix, is it volume? Um, Ramon, I appreciate your commentary in the first question uh, about price rationality in the marketplace, certainly. But the incrementality of the investment, I would have imagined, would like to show up in one of the top line drivers, and we're not quite seeing it yet. So just trying to understand how you think about the investment and where it's supposed to appear the ROI of that, and whether you're adjusting anything as it doesn't look like it's actually showing up in your particular results in terms of incremental investment. And in particular, I'm talking about pb a
3: Okay, Ali. Hi, good morning. Listen, um, I won't go into very specifics for each one of the of the business. What, I, what I'll tell you is the, the philosophy behind these investments. We're trying to have a very high uh, growth, sustained growth uh, you know, sustain high growth company going going forward. I think we are, um, you know, we have accelerated clearly from you know the two three percent to sustain four to five um, percent growth. Our our ambition is to stay within those parameters as we said, the four to six percent top line growth, and that will require multiple layers of investment across multiple parts of the business. Right. So, you know, if you think what we've been doing, uh, you know, we've been investing in. What you could call more short-term levers of uh, acceleration, uh, whether there be uh, uh, you know, new routes in the market, so more selling capacity, or improving some of our warehousing bottlenecks that we had in some of our businesses because of high growth, or some of the investments we're putting now in capacity, because you know the, the really the demand is quite quite high for some of our technology. So th- that you will see reflect it, it is being reflected. I mean, you know, if you see the prenolay. Four and a half percent growth, or you know, acceleration in a lot of the uh, the water brands in BBNA, or some of the coffees, or whatever. I mean, it is being reflected. But the the big idea, I think, for us and, and the, the the philosophy of how we're investing and how we're trying to run the company is how do we keep investing in capabilities that will give us that four and a half percent, or five percent, or four percent, like between the four and six percent going forward on a sustained basis, and not only the U.S. but really across the company. And those have to do with New capabilities in insights, and how do we digitalize the company, and how do we, what do we call precision uh, at scale. So how do we execute our portfolios in every store with the right level of insights and precision, and we have close loops on execution so that our people can execute consistently at those high, high levels? How do we continue to innovate in new platforms and have the right amount of resources to invest in new platforms versus taking money from the core and giving to those new platforms? So that is the philosophy and uh, that's what we're doing. And to tell you the truth, we're, we're pretty uh, pretty happy with the way the business is responding, the way we're seeing our market share evolving in our key markets and, and, and our markets to be in the future. So, um, you know, I, I think we feel pretty good, and, and the, the investment will come in all the different areas that, that I told you. But with this idea of um very sustained high-performance uh, top line, that will be the big driver of value for, for you guys as shareholders of the company.
1: Our next question comes from the line of Judy Hong of Goldman Sachs. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Um, so, so, Ramon, I, I think you cited... Improvement in, in NAB particularly around the Pepsi trademark and Mountain Dew, but I guess one area that's still somewhat soft is Gatorade So maybe from your perspective if you can talk a little bit about what you're seeing from a Gatorade um, Standpoint obviously you have innovation around the the trademark with the bolt 24 so how does that kind of fit into the strategy and when you think that we should see some more tangible improvement on, on, on that brand? Thank you
3: yeah. Happy, yeah, good morning. Uh the Gatorade is um is clearly a a big brand for us and one that is very solid with the consumer. All the metrics on the brand are fantastic in terms of consumer engagement and consumer um you know, brand equity it's in, in all dimensions very strong. Now what we're doing is innovate against that umbrella. Uh, the big innovation we, I mean, you, you mentioned both, but the big innovation is being Gatorade Zero, right? So with Gatorade Zero, we've been able to expand the consumer base of the brand to some consumers that actually were athletes, but they, uh, you know, they put a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, emphasis on sugar, and therefore they left some of the, um, the occasions that they were consuming the brand to move into other opportunities. So now with Gatorade Zero, we've seen that we're we're in, expanding again the consumer base of the brand, and that's going to be very, very incremental for us going forward. We're seeing the incrementality for the category. We're seeing the incrementality for the brand. You know, it's, uh, Gatorade Zero is already the number one zero sports drink in the country by quite a distance, I would say, and, I, and we, we see every week the uh, velocity of the brand improving. So I think that this is this is a brand that will be very big for us. now. Uh, Propel is another big uh, opportunity for us in, in sports drink and um, sports uh, hydration. And we see Propel growing also double-digit consistently for the last uh, few years. It's a brand intended for what we call more casual exercisers and we're trying to give them a good combination of um, hydration with with lower lower calories. That's working very well. We're now we're adding vitamins and some other positive, positive functionality. And then we have Bolt. Ball 24 is a um, is a, is a new platform for ads It's going to be a a functional platform trying to um, cater into the uh to the athlete off the uh off the field is I think within the consumption is going to be off the field we're trying to give hydration to the uh to the athlete during the day with functional benefits uh, that um, are all natural I mean now uh, Ball 24 is is watermelon water plus uh, sea salt. That's how the, the consumer will get its uh, electrolytes. And then we're adding some vitamins for antioxidants and whatever. So, and, and we'll, you will see more innovation coming under that platform. that will be off-the-field uh, um, you know, functionality for the uh, for the core athlete. Uh, we're, we're very we're very you know we're very positive about the uh, the image, the functionality, the um, the brand that we can create about around Bolt. And it's going to be one more example of how Gatorade understands consumers and continues to innovate against all the the needs of consumers in the sports uh, sports arena. So um, we're very positive about the the continued uh, share of market uh, development that we have in this segment and how we'll be able to grow the category, which is at the end our biggest responsibility as leader of the category.
1: Your next question comes from Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Great, thanks. Good morning. Um, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about the
2: international strategy. Um, so, Ramon, I mean, you've talked about sort of this like challenger, stronghold, battleground framework for thinking about markets. I was just hoping you could maybe shed a little bit more light on kind of the investment priorities, um, whether you want to talk about by geography, by category. Um, and do you think kind of the game changer for you in accelerating performance or market share performance is about? Is it more about innovation, or is it more about capabilities and execution? Thanks.
0: Okay.
3: Listen, we we are we, we see international as a huge growth opportunity for this company uh, long term. And I think we've been, we've been growing international two to three times the, uh, the U.S. growth for the last few years. I think that should continue in the future when you see the per caps of both our snacks and our beverage categories in the um you know, around the world and the U.S., um, we see a lot of uh, opportunities in in snacks by moving and package to package. I mean, that's a huge trend. We're seeing that our snacks business benefits a lot by urbanization, and as we see people moving into big cities in in developing markets, that's a huge opportunity. We have a we have a very good playbook on how we develop per caps of our snacks business. Um, I think we we keep codifying that better and better, and we have a very, I think, a quite advantage uh, playbook, and we're demonstrating that in, in many markets around the world. So you should see us continue to invest in our in our snacks business internationally, and that should be a big engine of growth for us. When you go to the uh, a beverage category, the same principles in terms of, you know, how how big is the growth opportunity uh, as consumers are moving from, I would say. Um, uh, non-commercial liquids to more commercial liquids everywhere in the world, and um, uh, there the uh, the nuance in our strategies. Obviously, we have another competitor that is trying to develop the category with us, and then we have to be smart where we you know we have a you know I would say a a, a higher growth. Uh, share position a higher share position versus a medium share position versus a low share position and our strategies need to change obviously uh, it doesn't mean that we're not going to aspire to gain share in every single market around the world, but the tools we use and the um and the number of uh, um, you know complexities we choose to uh, add to the business will be different depending on on the market position we play in every market so um that's the nuance between the beverage and the snacks business. Uh, you should see international as a huge growth opportunity for us globally for many, many years to come. And uh, I think we're realizing them. I mean, you see the numbers that we're posting every quarter, and, and they show the, um, both the uh, top line and the bottom line uh, opportunity that that has for PepsiCo going forward.
1: Your next question comes from the lineup, Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Great. Thanks. So,
5: Ramon, maybe – to build on some of what you said, I, I think in response to Ali's question, I just wanted to step back and, and validate your confidence in being able to resume your long-term algorithm come 2020, that 4 to 6% top line, 20 to 30 basis points margin improvement formula. Because despite the, the first half investments, your guidance, as, as Hugh highlighted in his remarks, seems to ha- allow for some deceleration in the back half on the tougher comps. So I guess I'm first trying to understand how confident you are in your ability to maintain first-half top-line momentum, not only in the back half, but but out to 2020 and beyond. Uh, and then secondly, to the extent you are able to sustain or accelerate the top-line from here, do you see all businesses now being, a, being in a position to contribute to necessary margin improvement come 2020, or will certain businesses require another year of more investment beyond, beyond 2019? Thanks.
3: Yeah. Listen, I think obviously we, we stayed true to the um, long-term guidance that we gave uh, a few months ago, right, like five or six months ago. We, we, we thought very carefully about that um, framework for growth, and we obviously are seeing that we're capable of delivering that, um, and we have the, um, the portfolio of categories and the portfolio of geographies that allow us to deliver that on a sustained basis, assuming that we make the right choices around. Proactivity and reinvestments, and we make the right choices on where we put this money for investment, the, the capabilities we're building, and where we're planning to innovate. I think, I think we, we stay true to that to that long-term framework. Um, the the uh, uh, remember when we talked about the uh, reinvestment year for, uh, you know, 2019, we said the first we did a few things right in the process. First, we looked at existing budgets and we tried to, um, you know, reallocate those budgets into the. You know the areas that would give us a better return. So that has uh, been internal. Second, we said we're going to we're going to really double down on our productivity, and that productivity will be reinvested for growth. And we're doing that in the sense that our productivity is quite strong, and we're investing. And third, we said we probably need a year of additional reinvestments that would um, would you know would put a solid foundation for the years to come. Whether it is in ANM, whether it is in some of the other capabilities we talked about, or capacities in terms of manufacturing or supply chain, so we're doing all that. With that, we feel pretty good about about the future. Um, yes, yeah, the, the company, as as you see in, in, in many of our industry, um, we we need to keep investing to transforming ourselves, right? So this is a I think a never-ending story for the future, in terms of uh, systems, in terms of new technologies, in terms of uh, adding new brands, so there's, there will continue to be additional investment needs in the company going forward. I think we can fund most of them with our productivity efforts and reallocating an existing budgets. which in a company of our size we can make a lot of discretionary decisions on water priorities year after year, so uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but that's how we see as a management team. the. Uh, the, the, the following the three four years.
4: Right, I, I agree with that. And, and Steve, just to add a little bit to it, uh, as Ramon mentioned, we we said we expect to be back on algorithm come 2020. Uh, you know, as as a management team, we've been pretty disciplined about talking about next year, in February when we get to next year. So, I, I think with the context Ramon's given you, we'll we'll talk about it in more details next February.
1: Our next question comes from the line of Andrea Teixeira of J.P. Morgan. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I have a follow-up
4: and then a margin question. So can you comment on the state of the consumer in the U.S., uh, as you alluded before? Uh, the results this morning have been supportive, but the scanner data has been softer as of late. Uh, is this just a timing or weather-related, or are you seeing the consumer a bit more cautious? And on the gross margin, uh, Hugh, you had called out the timing of commodities pressures in the first quarter earnings and into the second quarter, but the gross margin is too expanded well, so have we cycled most of the pressures? Thank you
3: morning andrea yeah, two, two um two comments on the consumer and then Hugh can talk on the uh, on the gross margin uh, we're seeing um in our uh, snacks business um micro snacks uh pretty healthy uh, growth we're seeing uh, um, you know, good acceleration of versus previous years. The number of occasions are going up. the um, the price per occasion is going you know nicely as you as you saw. and we're capturing the above fair share of that growth as a company. So snacks, I see a lot of uh, good tail um, tailwinds in in terms of beverages, uh, it's been a little bit erratic and um, quite linked to weather, actually. So uh, we've seen, uh, if you take the Q2, the, the second quarter, um, we had a fantastic April, but then somehow a, uh, a lower May and June from the scan's point of view because the weather has been you know, quite, quite, you know, wet and, and cold, uh, and that obviously impacts some parts of the um, of the category, especially the hydration-related uh, uh, parts of the business, uh, we're seeing we're seeing it coming back. Uh, so it, it's good. It, it's we, we see a healthy consumer, a consumer that where price elasticities are good, um, and um, you know, so we, we we cannot we cannot see any 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 signals that tells us that the consumer is slowing down at least in our categories, right? Which are you know low price. Uh, quite routine categories that are very well penetrated, very high penetrated across across all the U.S.
4: Yeah, and then on gross margins, Andre. Yeah, you're right. I, I mentioned uh, in the last call I think that the tougher comparisons were in the first half. A- as you know, on commodities, we we tend to lock about six to nine months out, so uh, we've got high visibility into the back half, and the commodities comparisons in the back half get a get a little bit easier.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Kamal Gajrawala of Credit Suisse.
0: Hey, good morning everybody. Uh, Ramon, you mentioned on several occasions the effective mix, whether premium products, channel mix, pack sizes, all of which sound sound like long-term trends. Can you give us a bit of a read on how much mix contributed in, in this quarter and then also Given that's where it seems like much of the capex is going, and, and where your capabilities are expanding, how we should maybe think about mix as part of your your algorithm longer term?
4: Yeah, Kamal, too. I'm I'm happy to to comment on that. Obviously, it moves around quite a bit depending on, you know, the which which portion of the year we're in, which businesses are doing well, but it's probably been on average contributing about a point.
3: Yeah, the, if you think about some of the capabilities we're trying to build for the company, and, and we're not the only ones in this consumer goods um, space, that are building this capability is net revenue management. Net revenue management is a combination of insights, analytics, and and ability to manage channels and and consumer innovation, and branding, and that that is a capability we're going to keep evolving, right? Because the uh, the likelihood of consumers willing to pay more for the same thing, um, it's, it's going to reduce right, uh, going forward. So we need to uh, be able to give the consumer much more value through different ways, and that's a capability we are, you know, I think we're good at, we're going to get better at. And we, the fact that we, have, um, we tend to uh, control our execution all the way to the consumer in many channels, I think that gives us a competitive advantage going forward.
1: Our next question comes from the line of Nick Modi of RBC. Yeah. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Ramon, maybe you can just give us a state of the union on the uh, NAB, you know, reorganization. You know, any early learnings, any hiccups. You know, any anything you can share on that would be helpful. Thank you.
3: Yeah, that's good. Listen, this is a um, uh, thank you for asking. This is a um, going to be, I think, a um, a factor to our continued uh, sustained performance in the future in NAB. I think the fact that we're able to um, understand the US market as one full market but then able to segment it into pieces and execute uh, with local relevance it's going to be I think a, a driver of growth for us and sustain growth and and for us to be better serving our customers. Uh, and much more, uh, you know, um, nuanced way. So that that was the intention. The uh, as as any large uh, restructuring, you're dealing with um, uh, people issues, right? Uh, I, I think you know, moving families, location to location, all that. Um, I think that's pretty much behind now. During the summertime, most of the families will move and will have, you know, uh, everybody in place and ready to execute, full mind um so you know you, you obviously i think we started in uh, march now is july so we've had 3 4 months of a little bit of transition i would say in the in the business i think the management has done a great job in terms of uh you know working diligently to get people in place and make sure that the the, the the employees feel well treated by the company and and uh, and i think we are we're there you sh- we should see the benefits of uh what this organisation should deliver in the second half of the year but most importantly this is the move we're making for the future so um, you know in terms of distribution uh, in in, the, the more capillary parts of the business in terms of how do we serve regional customers how do we segment our consumer strategies depending on our market positions in the different states, in all those capabilities that we didn't have so much in the past should be reflected in the new and the new organization so we're feeling good um, but as always it's been a, a process of people management and talent management and uh, and it's, it's, as you can imagine, this is a lot of people right and so but but it's behind us now.
1: Our next question comes from Bonnie Herzog of Wells Fargo. All right, thank you. good morning. I um, was hoping you could update us on SodaStream and, and some of your initiatives around reducing or even eliminating packaging. And then are there any examples beyond SodaStream to which you can point where you're actively working, again, to eliminate packaging? Thanks.
3: Yeah. Yes. Um so Bonnie, good morning. Uh, the um, SodaStream is... Um, is doing very well actually. I mean, it's it's exceeded our expectations uh, in terms of the uh, the growth potential and the growth execution. So uh, we're we're feeling good. Uh, we're, we're understanding more about this platform. We're trying to we're starting to put more of the uh, PepsiCo capabilities um, against the uh, Southern Stream business, especially around flavors and around some of the uh, you know the consumer experience with flavors, which I think were under under optimized. Uh, direct to consumer opportunities so we're trying to insert some capabilities into solarstream but we're running it as a separate business that you know should should be agile and nimble and going after actually disrupting the bottle business and that's the, that's the strategy and that is how we want to run this com- this uh, this business going forward in terms of how we're looking at um at the uh uh plastic reduction plastic waste reduction A couple of things, obviously, SolarStream is a big one for us, and we made some commitments recently in the U.S., and we continue to make commitments across the world in terms of uh, what we did in the U.S., I don't know if you read it recently, is uh, live water will be 100% uh, recycled brand, recycled PET brand. We'll have have no plastics on bubbly and we're gonna be testing Aquafina in cans in some parts of the U.S., mostly the West Coast. We made a commitment in, in the uh, European Union that will be 50% recycled uh, by 2030, I think it is. Um, and we're also uh, exploring some circular um, waste management opportunities with our snacks bags in Europe, especially in the UK and, and also in India. So we're really exploring. Uh, a lot of the uh, physical circularity and uh, making some commitments on which packaging solutions we'll use. Long term, obviously, we have we have efforts in the, um, you know, chemical recycling and new materials and alliances with other, um, you know, players in the value chain of chemical industry and the collection industry and the uh, and some of our partners in the brand business, the competitors and not competitors, where we're trying to make a difference in, in, in ingredient material solutions Chemical recycling, uh, collection systems, everything else to try to minimize this, uh, this, you know, plastic going into waste versus plastic coming back into our systems and being, us being able to uh, to provide the consumers with what I think are very, you know, affordable and functional solutions uh, that, but they don't go to waste. Right. So that, that's the principle.
1: Your next question comes from Kevin Grundy of Jefferies.
3: Thanks. Good morning. Um,
4: Good morning, Ramon, I uh, had a question on a couple brands in, uh, in North America beverages. So, so Mountain Dew, which has clearly been an area of focus, but uh, the brand continues to lose some share based on what we see in the syndicated data. Can you give us an update there on your strategy to stabilize the share trends? And then maybe you could just briefly touch on Bubbly, which has done quite well, but the distribution has ramped up here, and, and you've spent some money behind advertising. Maybe talk about how you see the opportunity for that brand now with, with distribution looking rather full. Thanks.
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, you're right on the two you know, diagnostics. I think we have an opportunity in Mountain Dew to uh, to recover share, and we have a huge opportunity ahead of us in bubbly, in in, in creating a whole new category of beverages. So, on 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 Dew, we're um, you know, we, we're, we're just, you know we, we try to approach. You know, we had to work on Pepsi. We had to work on Mountain Dew. Had to work on Gatorade. I think we're feeling good about Pepsi. We're feeling good about Gatorade. Now we're going fully in into a Mountain Dew investment. We are ramped up A and M. Um, started in April, May. We're, we're going to, you know, we're quite heavy across the summer and um, and then Q4. We have a lot of innovation as well that should help um, you know, the core Dew consumer to have more options in its. Um, you know, and what is a a, a a high loyalty brand? Um, the um, you know we, we have next to Mountain Dew, there there is the energy category, right? So we're trying to move you into the energy category in small steps. Um, Kickstarter was one that we did. Uh, Kickstarter is you know was a great platform. It's, is you know it decreased a little bit. It's starting to go up again. That that should solidify uh, Mountain Dew, and then we just launched Mountain Dew Amp uh, Game Fuel to, you know, to put one one foot into the energy category with a differentiated positioning more towards the uh, the gaming and and that um, that kind of uh, 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 demand opportunity. It is doing very well. We plan to continue to innovate in that segment. The numbers you see for Mountain Dew do not include um, uh, Game Fuel, Uh, so that's that's uh, you know it is part of the brand, but it's not. In, you know, in all your um, uh, information systems, doesn't show up as part of the Dew brand, but that's how we see the brand growing. Uh, you know, investing in the core Dew consumer, very loyal, giving them their preferred product uh, in non-sugar and in, in sugar options. In, you know, innovating in flavors in Dew, and then moving Dew slowly into other spaces where you know within the brand has a role to play, and, and, and I think we're able to formulate products that will be very competitive in that space as well. Sorry, on, on bubbly, uh, we're, we're super happy really with this opportunity. And, and, and sparkling water is always it's been underdeveloped in the U.S. If you compare with some of the European markets, and uh, we thought there was a big opportunity there. I think the R&D team did an amazing job. We have a you know a, a very good product, uh, and, and and we see that by the levels of repeat and loyalty we're creating with some of those with some of those uh, flavors. Um, I think the personality of the brand is, is fun, is, uh, is, you know, is, is, is modern, is young, uh, so the consumers are coming back to, to bubbly. Bubbly um, has double velocity, I mean really it's double velocity per uh, point of distribution in the last 3-4 uh, months after the Super Bowl with this new advertising. I agree with you that there's a lot of uh, distribution opportunities yet and it takes a while for our partners, the, uh, our retailer partners to uh, you know give these brands that are, <coughs> that are growing so fast the right uh, space in the store. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of dialogues with our partners, uh, retail partners to expand bubbly uh, space. So, we see this brand as a brand of the future. Uh, we're going to be innovating in this brand, not only flavors but other occasions that I think we, we can we can attack. You're going to see mini cans, you're going to see larger cans. It's going to be a no plastic brand. I think that is a very very good positioning that we can have for this brand going forward for the modern consumer, the millennial, and the, uh, the younger mother that uh, I think is, is adopting this brand for, for her kids. So we're feeling very good about this brand. This could be one of our next $1 billion brands. That's, that's, that's our goal uh, with, the, uh, with the NAB team, and they're executing every step of the way with a lot of, uh, a lot of precision. So we're very, very happy with this new brand
5: in our portfolio.
1: Our next question comes from the line of Robert Ottenstein of ISI.
5: Great, thank you very much, <clears throat> Ramon. In your in your opening comments, um, you talked about uh, evolving the culture of the company. I'm um, wondering if you could give us a little bit more granularity on what that means. Um, perhaps you know talk about what you saw in the culture uh, as you were there and and took the helm. Uh, what you liked about it, what you thought needed changing, and then you know, more specifically, how you're
3: implementing those changes, uh, how they may be reinforced with your incentive programs. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Very, great question. I think um, we're convinced that the culture will be a competitive advantage for us going forward, and that's why the whole management team is uh, spending a lot of time in – First, defining a set of uh, leadership behaviors that we think are core to PepsiCo, and we call this the PepsiCo way, and uh, now rolling out those behaviors across the company in every geography. Um, and it's been quite, quite exciting to go around the company and see how fast the organization is embracing these, these behaviors, and it, it, gives, it makes us very optimistic about the, the future. The, the behaviors, there's a few that are critical. Um, you know, for you as investors and, and it should our performance. One of them is being very consumer-centric. So we want to have an organization that creates a lot of values, a lot of value for, uh, for the company and for the investors by being, by understanding the consumer with a lot of details, making decisions around innovation, but not all innovation, but the whole management of the company around the consumer. I think long-term that's going to give us A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, differentiation and and, uh, market share. Then there's a lot of there's a few values around how uh, about speed and um, and ownership, which I think it's if you think about large companies of our scale and uh, you know the competitors we have in the marketplace, we need to act with speed and we need to act as owners, right? Uh, And and that's something that um, you can lose over time because you know. Yes, 're we're, we're, we're sometimes we become more internal than we should and we become more process driven than we should. So what we're trying to do is make sure that our each one of our employees feels that he's an owner of the company and that he's expected to act with uh, empowerment and speed and simplicity. and, and we're trying to you know uh, simplify our processes and allow people, to really behave as, as as owners in the company of course integrity is core to our uh, values and you know when we operate in so many countries around the world that has to be core to our um, to our um, to our, the way we operate and then there there's there's values around uh, raising uh, you know the, the talent and diversity and, and i would think that long term for companies like ours uh, you know bringing in new capabilities and making sure that new generations feel very good in our company Uh, we create the environment for them to uh thrive is critical so we're trying to also put talent and diversity at the center of those leadership behaviors and how we recruit the best and how we make sure that they feel that this is a place where they can make a difference and they can you know voice their opinions and and challenge uh the status quo and uh make sure that that is part of how we run the business, right, with diversity and making sure that everyone uh, has a point of view and everyone has a uh, feels that they have the right to have that point of view heard by everybody around the company. Of course, then we can only do a few things and we will have to make the choices and everything else, but, but that culture is critical. So speed and ownership, the talent and diversity and, and opinion, uh, Consumer centricity, integrity—those are the, some of the values that uh, that we want to reinforce. It's not that we didn't have it, but uh, we uh, we think it, it's, it's worth re- reemphasizing. With the final output being a great company that is focused on growth and creates value with uh, winning in the marketplace. And, and of course, we don't want to lose the purpose. I think purpose is critical in uh, in you know any company, in any organization, in any individual today. And especially if you talk to the new generations, they feel very strong about making a difference in, in, the, in, in the planet. So, we want to make sure that purpose is part of our commercial strategy. That our brands talk purpose. That our commercial teams talk about purpose. And our, you know, our organizations are very well rooted in every community, making a difference in how people live uh, around us. Right. So, that that is the. Um, those are the, uh, the different components of the culture change that we're making. And as I said. I feel extremely excited because everybody is embracing this, uh, and we, you know, obviously we're traveling a lot around the world, and I see how people are talking about those uh, behaviors and, and that language um, you know, very uh, consistently across the company.
1: Our next question comes from Laurent Grandet of Guggenheim.
3: Yes, good morning, Ramon, and, and you, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, Building on on Lauren's question, I'd like to understand how you see international brands or platform expansion in beverages specifically. So we were surprised by the launch of the Lavazza uh, lineup in the U.K. Is that the departure from a potential Starbucks partnership outside of the Americas or do you think both brands could potentially coexist in the future? So basically how your coffee uh, strategy is evolving here. And then on Gatorade, we keep talking about the U.S., but I'd like to understand your plan to make the brand more available outside of the U.S., please. Thank you. Hi, Laurent. Um, uh, so, two, two things on, you know, obviously, Starbucks is our very strong partner for many years, and we um, value of that relationship is a super, um, you know, I would say we're very aligned. We're building, a, I think, a very powerful business together in the U.S. and some other parts of the of the world. Unfortunately, in Europe, Starbucks had a um some previous um, relationships and um, and that's why you know if we wanted to compete in the um in the coffee space we, we needed to find another partner and that's that's Lavazza uh, we chose Lavazza so there's nothing in terms of um, i would say the relationship on the contrary is 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 extremely powerful relationship where we're creating a lot of value for both companies. Um, Just the European piece is a bit of a, uh, you know, a separate relationship because of existing contracts and et cetera. Um, In terms of the Gatorade brand, this is is really a global brand in terms of consumer understanding and consumer awareness. Um, We just made some priorities in the past uh, of uh, Latin America, U.S. and China being the core markets where we want to build this brand. In the markets like Western Europe and Eastern Europe, we're choosing uh, much more of an e-commerce type of uh, um, you know way to develop the brand, uh, so a lighter investment if you wish, uh, but it's a, it's a big priority for us and it's a brand that we think we have a uh, competitive advantage in terms of the product solutions and clearly the brand is very well recognized and it's uh, very well perceived by many consumers around the world because of the sport. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, the assets that we have in the sports world, and obviously people watch TV everywhere, right? So they can see the soccer, the uh, football, the uh, basketball, uh, any of our assets, and, and the brand continues to develop. So you should see us uh, both working on coffee and sports around the world.
1: Our next question comes from Caroline Levy of Macquarie. Good morning, and thank you very much, Um Just very briefly, if you could touch on what you're seeing in terms of the macros
5: in, you mentioned Brazil being very strong and some other countries, is that is the Brazil really just a one-time comp issue? But more importantly was a a more strategic question around price mix realization because historically in the world of bottling or where you own distribution, price mix is more valuable than volume um, because there's less incremental cost associated with, with that than in delivering new volume. And so I'm just wondering if, over time, that that holds true, that your margins will improve um, as a function of price mix improving, given that you yeah. own your distribution.
4: Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Caroline, it's you. Um, in general, I think that the macros down in, in Brazil are, are slowly improving. We We talked about the fact that, we were lapping some extraordinary things, which made for a very high growth rate in in the quarter in Brazil. But I I do think we see uh, the macros there slowly improving. Uh, In addition to that, uh, we are uh, using the playbook that that Ramon referred to in terms of building out our our salty snack business and and being very methodical about it. Uh, It's a business that I've been around for a long time and has gone through multiple cycles, but I really do feel that uh, with the leadership we have, both at the sector level as well as at the business unit level, uh, we've got the right people to execute and and build that business in a a very solid foundational brick by brick way uh, to build another good profit platform for PepsiCo. Uh, As regards the, the specifics of the beverage business. Uh, I, I think our interests with the bottler uh, in in that market are very well aligned. So uh, we benefit both from volume and and from price mix. And uh, and I expect we'll we'll continue to work closely with them uh, to improve what's obviously a, a relatively small beverage business for us.
1: Your next question comes from Bill Chappell of SunTrust.
5: Thanks. Good morning. Just a good morning. Just a, good morning. Uh, Question on on the energy category. I mean, I get, and I think most do, that you're not interested in buying some of the smaller brands that are out there. But I'm I'm surprised that we haven't heard or seen something about a Pepsi energy drink. And And I understand that Mountain Dew and you have other kind of plays in the energy market. But is there something that on the cola flavor, you don't think that plays as well in the energy market or you don't see as much opportunity be it outside the U.S. for the Pepsi brand and and other flavors for the Pepsi brand? Just trying to understand especially with what Coke has said and kind of their optimism about the Coke energy product, you know, why we haven't seen a Pepsi energy product.
3: Yeah, um, good question. The um, energy is clearly a a growing market uh, across the world and we think that um, the consumer will continue to uh, ask for products that give them that functionality of higher energy or boost. We're, we're approaching this from many angles, right? Uh, from the coffee, from the um, sports, from uh, obviously the energy category itself, right? Uh, so. Yeah, we're capturing some of those occasions already now. In the case of the U.S. energy, we have a pretty good partner for many years, which is Rockstar being our partner, and we've been playing in this segment uh, for for a few years together. And it's working also in some international markets. So, you know, we plan obviously to continue that relationship, keep innovating, and see how we can accelerate our participation in that growth category. Um, with regards to Pepsi Energy or Coke Energy, I mean those are, you know, we're we're, we're all trying, I think, as a, as a strategy to make our global brands play in more spaces, right? So we're trying to do that with Lay's, or we're trying to do that with the retail, or we're trying to do that with Pepsi. Uh, Pepsi, actually, if you see our growth internationally is a lot on flavors. Pepsi flavor is a lot on Pepsi non-sugar zero and obviously Pepsi regular in in multiple formats. You know, uh, I think uh, we will keep expanding Pepsi into other spaces, you know, whether it's energy or some other spaces, you know, you will see when we get to the market. Uh, You know, if you look at the, uh, if you think about the core uh, energy consumer, it's uh, it's looking for something different than the, uh, that what brand Coke or brand Pepsi can offer. I'm not saying that there will not be occasions where some of those consumers will go into our brands, but I think they're looking for different propositions, and if you think about Red Bull, Monster, or Rockstar, or some of the other brands that are, uh, you know, uh, capturing majority of that space, they have a very different proposition, right? So I'm not saying it's not a big business opportunity, I'm saying that, you know, it's not going to be the center of the category, I think, uh, but, you know, uh, more to see in the coming quarters, and, uh, and of course, we'll keep, we'll keep thinking about how do we make our brands, our global brands, play in more spaces, because that is a very high return on investment normally for us. As you can see with Gatorade Zero or with Pepsi Zero, those are – when you put your big brands into new spaces, that is a huge, huge, huge business opportunity.
1: Your next question comes from Amit Sharma of BMO Capital.
5: Hi, good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, Ramona, a question for you. Uh, You you talked about
2: stronger growth in the convenience store channel as one of the reasons for maybe a little bit more price mix that we saw, especially for the snacks business. Can you talk about that dynamic in terms of online as you grow your online business? Should that also be a price mix positive from a relative uh, contribution perspective? and then the relative size of your business is online at this time.
4: Yeah, Amitai, it's you. Uh, yeah, what we've said in the past is our, our online business is over a billion dollars, and generally speaking, it is going to tend towards smaller packages, so it's not going to be the, the multi-serve. It'll, it'll tend towards multi-packs and singles and things like that. So generally speaking, that is going to be a positive from a mixed perspective. Obviously, we're in very early days on online, but I, my expectation is as that market continues to evolve, it will be both premium and, in all likelihood, more singles and multi, uh, multi-packs.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Sean King of UBS.
2: Hi, thanks. Um, I believe you mentioned a few uh, specific reinvestment areas over the last couple of quarters, including a small can capacity and uh, Frito variety packs. Uh, where do you stand against those specific initiatives, and uh, are you still, uh, I guess, capacity constrained?
3: Yeah, the, um, we're putting capacity against that. And I think, uh, as I mentioned before, I think this is going to be a long-term consumer uh, uh, trend. Consumers are looking for variety packs, and consumers are looking for smaller portion packs. So uh, we've put a lot of capacity in place uh, where we're seeing that, you know, the more capacity we put, we still are behind demand in some of those facts, in some of the geographies around the world. So we're going to have to keep investing in those in those formats and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great problem to have, I would say, you know, that you have a lot of demand for your business and uh, that you need to put capacity in what are very high-margin uh, parts of your business. So. Yes, uh, I think we're putting capacity, but we're seeing that the consumer is ready to buy more of our products in those formats. So you'll see more of that, of those capexes going in the future. So thank you, thank you, for, um, th- thank you for the time and, and participation in the, in the call. It's been a very, I think, a open and, and good dialogue. To conclude, um, we're pleased with our results for the second quarter and for the first half of the, of the year. We're executing well against our key priorities. We remain on track to achieve our 2019 financial goals, and we thank you for the confidence that you've placed in us with your investment. Thank you.
1: Thank you for participating in PepsiCo's second quarter 2019 earnings conference call. You may now disconnect.